Welcome to Advocation Change It Up, a new podcast series hosted by Dr. Karen Liller, a professor at the USF College of Public Health and director of the Activist Lab. Hello and welcome to Advocation Change It Up, the podcast series of the University of South Florida College of Public Health Activist Lab. I'm Dr. Karen Liller, a distinguished university health professor and director of the Activist Lab, and I'm joined by one of our student advisory board members, Michaela McMahon. How are you, Michaela? I'm doing well, Dr. Liller. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. The Activist Lab at the college prepares our students to be exemplary advocates and leaders in public health. And if you just Google us at our website, you'll see all the educational programs we do. We have boot camps, seminars. We do research on a variety of public health topics and advocacy and work to assure students have practice experiences in the community at the state and national levels. This podcast involves talking with public health leaders and advocates whose work has led to great improvements in public health. We'll be talking in each podcast with a guest on a particular public health issue, and we'll end each podcast by asking how we as the community can advocate for change. Today, I'll be talking with our guest Susan Glickman to follow up on our discussions of climate change and especially the recent Supreme Court decision that the EPA does not have the ultimate authority to regulate power plants in terms of capping carbon emissions and shifting to renewable energy. This now has to go through Congress. This could have serious ramifications, not only for climate change, but could also affect how other agencies' regulations are viewed as well, like the FDA's. Previously, the Activist Lab was funded by Research America to develop a podcast series on environmental health and climate change that you can find on our website, and we developed a state environmental health plan. We featured Representative Kathy Castor on one of our podcasts, and climate change issues were very much discussed, so it's exciting we are continuing the conversations. I'd like to provide some information about Ms. Glickman, our guest today. She was named to Florida Trend's inaugural list of 500 most influential business leaders, and she is a communications expert who has spent a lifetime advancing a diverse set of public interest issues from civil rights to campaign finance reform. Susan brings a broad set of skills to the art of communicating complex topics to the media, the public, and policymakers. For the past two decades, she has worked on climate and energy issues. She is currently the director of Florida Clinicians for Climate Action and Environmental Advocacy Group. She also is a consultant to many organizations, such as the Southern Alliance for Clean Energy Action Fund, the Natural Resources Defense Council, the Climate Group, the Union of Concerned Scientists, and more. She recently helped to initiate the Tampa Bay Regional Resiliency Coalition, working with Pinellas County Commissioner Janet Long. She is on the board of the Solar and Energy Loan Fund, which provides financing for energy efficiency and solar in underserved frontline communities, and we've discussed that on a previous Activist Lab podcast. She grew up in Tampa. She holds a Bachelor's of Science in Communication from the University of Texas at Austin. So that is a fantastic bio, and trust me, listeners, I've only read a tenth of it. But before we begin, I have to add, the views expressed reflect those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of the University of South Florida. So without further ado, let's talk with our advocation guests. So how are you, Ms. Glickman? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me. Of course. May I call you Susan? You may. 
Very good. So let's orient the listeners a little bit, Susan, about your involvement over the years in climate change and environmental health and why this new ruling could be troublesome for those efforts. It's one tool in the toolbox for the Environmental Protection Agency, the very agency that is tasked with protecting our natural environment, Mm -hmm. to be able to uh, control the fuels that are used at power plants. So it was a really heartbreaking decision for people who work on uh, trying to stabilize the climate of the planet. And I've been doing that now for more than two decades. Absolutely. Um, But it is not sort of the end game Mm because it was just one piece of the puzzle, an important piece, albeit. So in 2017, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in the Massachusetts versus EPA that the Environmental Protection Agency did have the authority to regulate power plants under the Clean Air Act. Okay. So there are other avenues and other places where we can move to reduce emissions, but they are saying, the Supreme Court, that we need market forces to decide what kind of fuels. So we can't force some of these states like West Virginia to move Mm -hmm. away from some of the more polluting fuels like coal. Mm -hmm. So it is a a bit of a setback. It's actually a very big setback. Uh, But nonetheless, when we talk about market forces, Right now, the big gains are being made in renewable energy. Right. And frankly, it's just cheaper. And that's where we are. Energy efficiency always was cheaper than building new power plants. And now solar, the costs for solar have dropped about 90% in the last decade. Oh, that's amazing. So the costs are coming down. Mm -hmm. And it really does, even an electric vehicle, Consumer Reports will tell you that over the life cycle, you can save six to $10,000 on a similar sized electric vehicle, uh, rather than a traditional internal combustion engine. Oh, that's amazing. And have the prices of those vehicles come down as well? Because I know that was a little bit of a deterrent for people. There are some cars that are at a lower price point, of course, than others. Mm-hmm. I think there's a bit of a misperception because of the early right. rollout of things like the Teslas, yes. which were, were very expensive. But they have a model of Tesla that's $38,000. Okay. Uh, the Mini Cooper is coming out with an electric vehicle at thirty, And there is developing a market right. for used electric vehicles. Yeah. Uh, because an, uh, an electric vehicle doesn't have as many moving parts, you don't care as much about the mileage as you might mm-hmm. if you were buying a traditional car. So people will, as people trade up and get new cars, there are 100 models of electric vehicles coming online. Oh, so that amazing. is going to be a game changer. Young people today probably will never buy, drive a traditional car oh. because it's such a superior driving experience on every level. Right. And I did hear on the news today, didn't I, that President Biden said by 2030 he would like half the vehicles out there to be electric vehicles. So yeah. so we'll see if that happens. And plus, as you said, not everybody loves to get gas. That's so, correct. you know, yeah. so this is a game changer for us yeah. that hate that. Well, traditionally, <laughs> this is a place where I think women have a role to play. Right. Because women traditionally make the buying decisions in a home. Mm-hmm. And so I know men love their cars as well. Right. Uh, but the fact is, is women loathe going to the gas station and filling up with gas. And you think of yes. a new young mother and she's got an infant in the oh, back of the car. Um, she I remember feels, the days well. Yes. Yeah. Of That's trying right. to get gas. Right. So women feel vulnerable. So the fact is, is if you can pull up in your driveway and just at your own convenience just stick that plug into your car and I do it all the time I've been driving a fully electric vehicle for more than three years wow 
Amazing. Michaela, do you have questions? Yeah, so thank you again, Ms. Gilpin, for being here and talking to us today. Um, so you just spoke on how the ruling of West Virginia versus uh, the EPA is troublesome for efforts in combating climate change. I was wondering if you could provide some insight to what states or the power that states have moving forward and moving towards more renewable energy practices and sustainable practices. That's a very big question, really, and it, it connects to a lot of other powers of the state. So we're seeing a lot of activity at the U.S. Supreme Court that's moving authority mm -hmm. back to the state to regulate things. We've seen this in the right. recent decisions about women's reproductive health issues is the same, where the states will now have greater leeway uh, to go in. Um, you know, the states are very different. So as we note, the case that we're talking about here today is West Virginia right. versus the EPA. So West Virginia is one of the states where they produce coal. Mm -hmm. So it's mm -hmm. not really surprising uh, that they would be pushing back against um, a move by the federal government to have a national policy right. about moving away from coal. Mm. But what they're doing is they're missing an opportunity. They're missing an opportunity to move to a clean energy economy where the next generations of people mm -hmm. in West Virginia. And I guarantee you not every young person in West Virginia wants to spend their days down in the bottom of a coal mine. Probably it's not. It's dangerous right. and dirty sure. work. Sure. So um, they're just uh, holding the transition off mm -hmm. uh, for a little bit because mm -hmm. it's happening anyway. And they are going to disadvantage their young people and their state because sure. they're not going to be a part of where we're, we're headed to. There's mm -hmm. a, a very famous hockey player, ice hockey player named Wayne, Wayne Gretzky. Oh, yes. Yep. And he would often say, wisdom from his father, that we want to skate to where the puck is going, mm -hmm. not to where the puck has been. And, and the puck is not going to coal. Right. Right. And clean energy resources are actually cheaper than coal, especially if we were to add in the cost of what we often call the externalities, the public health implications mm -hmm. of oh, burning coal. Amazing, yeah. And that's just the direct influence on your lungs, your respiratory mm -hmm. system. And that's mm -hmm. before we get to the climate impacts yeah. um, mm -hmm. uh, on public mm -hmm. health, which are many. And I know we'll, we'll dig a little right. more into that. And I think that's so interesting because, you know, when you talk about states, Michaela, um, I'm sure that decision or that opinion of West Virginia does not represent, as uh, Susan was saying, all West Virginians. I mean, I graduated from West Virginia University in mm -hmm. Morgantown, very progressive, and I very much doubt that everybody who lives in Morgantown would have agreed with that decision. But like you said, states are very different, they're vast, and um, they have to go with what they ultimately vote on and what their representatives and senators vote on at the end. So, so yeah, very, very interesting. And let me uh, make one more comment about mm -hmm. your particular question. Over the last 20 years or so, many states have moved to clean energy. Right. About mm -hmm. 30 states or so have passed targets for renewable mm -hmm. energy, mm -hmm. often referred to as an RPS, a renewable portfolio standard, or targets for energy efficiency. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those states are further down the road in moving. States like Hawaii, where the electricity is more expensive, mm -hmm. they are further down the road. Sure. They have about 30% of their energy is supplied uh, by renewables. So the states are all in different positions. Here in the state of Florida, we do not have a target for renewable mm -hmm. energy. We do not have a target for energy efficiency. 
energy efficiency is the cheap solution. Mm-hmm. It is the fastest, cleanest, cheapest way to meet our energy need. So my next question is, what do you predict, Susan, could be the future for Florida, the U.S., and the world if climate change is not more seriously addressed? And uh, you've mentioned this a little bit, but I had a question that how much you thought the Supreme Court decision set us back. And it sounds like you said a bit, but it's not the end game. It's not the, the end. And in your opinion, in all the work that you've done, when do you think even more noticeable changes are going to occur to help awaken folks to this issue? Well, I say it often, Mm -hmm. uh, Floridians are already feeling the heat and we're paying the price. Mm -hmm. So climate change has a cost in a lot of regards. Um, The state of Florida has in the last couple years in our legislative, in our state legislature, has really acknowledged the climate impacts related to sea level rise and the chronic flooding we're seeing. In Mm -hmm. fact, they've given out about a billion and a half dollars. We've talked a little bit about coal as a fuel, Mm coal-fired power plants. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm here to share that I spent about five years of my life fighting seven proposals to build coal-fired power plants in the state of Florida. What's going to happen if this isn't more seriously addressed? I mean, you talk about future generations. I mean, what do you think are some of the health implications that we might see? Florida um, is very challenging. Mm -hmm. Climate change impacts every one of the pillars of Florida's economy. When you think about the tourism and the agriculture, construction, Mm -hmm. real estate, ports, right? All of that, the space industry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we're going to be hurt economically. um, And it depends whether we're going to be challenged to adapt or are we going to be hurt so much that people are going to have to retreat from certain areas right. uh, because of sea level rise, and then your tax base mm-hmm. gets reduced? So mm-hmm. at the time when the local governments are going to be more and more important to help people adapt to climate change, they're going to have less wherewithal to do it. So right. there is an upper limit to the sea level rise mm-hmm. and the heat that Florida can withstand. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. we need to to uh, recognize that, and Florida needs to take action. That's right. We are in for mm-hmm. two and a half to three and a half feet of sea level rise by mid-century. That is NOAA data that came in in 2015 mm-hmm. and 2018. Mm-hmm. I've seen the that. Tampa Bay Science Advisory Panel and the South Florida Climate Compact, the people who are experts um, have analyzed that. They have shared these projections, and they are building to two feet. So back to the human health. Mm -hmm. I mean, the heat Mm -hmm. is very obvious. Uh, Down in Miami-Dade County, Mayor Daniela Levine-Cava has appointed the first chief heat officer in the entire world. Oh, my goodness. They've established a heat health task force. Uh And so, as you've mentioned, Dr. Liller, I direct the Florida Clinicians for Mm -hmm. Climate Action. Mm -hmm. So one of our co-chairs, Dr. Cheryl Holder, she heads diversity, equity, and inclusion at Florida International University. Mm -hmm. She co-chairs. Okay the Heat Health Task Force in Miami-Dade County, along with Jane Gilbert, their Mm -hmm. chief heat officer. So they've created a task force. They've gone through a whole, uh, you know, rigorous set of Mm -hmm. workshops about Mm -hmm. things like infrastructure and the physiology of heat and how it works in the body. Mm -hmm. They come up with recommendations and they are deploying. 
Uh, the clinicians are Great. working now with ba Baptist Health South Florida to develop a continuing medical education course for both all mm -hmm. clinicians, but nurses mm. and doctors. they will need that. That's right. Definitely. That's yeah. right, EMTs. Mm -hmm. I mean, where this is going to happen are things like outdoor music festivals, for right. example, sure. where people have no idea and, you know, they may be all sort of dressed up for a good time and then the heat. Then the heat. And you don't know you're, it's getting that bad. In That's other right. words, when you're out in the heat, sometimes you, you just don't feel it like mm -hmm. you would something else. So. Especially when you're having fun. Yeah, so you're not paying attention. That's right, and you might be drinking right. a wine cooler or something that dehydrates you even it more. Even does it even so, more. But the heat, adding to that, mosquito-borne diseases. I just saw yes. on the very front page <laughs> mm -hmm. of the Miami Herald, they had just discovered some dengue right. fever. Dengue fever, malaria, mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. Zika. Zika. Yes. fever. Right. So, uh, <laughs> Michaela now wants to ask a question, I know for sure, now that we got onto this topic. Um, but just to add on, um, their USF does, uh, they had their fourth annual IPE day last fall, and it was focused on climate change within the healthcare setting. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the speak guest speakers there spoke on that we'll have to have a change in certain medications, where certain medications causes one to not sweat, but in order to cool the body down, one needs to sweat. But if that's not possible, then we're going to be seeing overheating. So there's going to be a point where we have to look at the medications that practitioners can prescribe to their patients if it's going to affect them and not be, they're going to be overheating. Um, but then going with also infectious diseases, like there's a potential that we're going to be seeing um, an increase in infectious diseases and where they are found in granted Florida, we um, are already quote unquote in, not endemic, mm -hmm. but uh, it's known to have yellow fever here or sure. uh, Zika, EEV, mm -hmm. all that. Um, where, so my question is, is that Florida, we are the sunshine state, uh, we have water. How can we incentivize mm -hmm. um, people or our uh, politicians to go towards using solar energy or uh, wind turbines or more uh, even offshore wind turbines? What could we do, what could we do there? Because sometimes I feel as though we feel powerless uh, mm -hmm. as uh, just general day-to-day -day people, um, even though we do speak up and sometimes we feel as though mm -hmm. our uh, legislators aren't hearing us. How do you think we can change that conversation and really start to incentivize mm -hmm. those types of renewable technology? That is such a, a just profound question. Yes. And it's something that mm -hmm. I struggle with every day mm -hmm. um, because, mm -hmm. you know, the facts are, are there. Um, I, you mentioned I went to the University of Texas in mm -hmm. Austin. Mm -hmm. In 1965, Lyndon Baines Johnson, so he's the President of the United States from an oil state, three weeks after his inauguration, says this generation is altering the composition of the Earth's atmosphere by burning fossil fuels. Right? So we've known about it. Years we've had and years. huge reports. Yeah. And, and what more do we need is what I want to say. The solutions are readily available. Mm -hmm. They are readily mm -hmm. available. They are cheaper. They are cleaner. Mm -hmm. They are local. Mm -hmm. So we have that opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. So the question is, how do you get your policymakers to do the right thing? 
Right. There, that is so many answers <laughs> to that. You show up at the meetings, you meet with them, you write the letters, you get your facts right. straight, you join organizations so you know when things are coming up in the moment, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, mm -hmm. I'll tell you, it's a very um, addictive, exhilarating thing to make a difference. We promote the evidence, we say the evidence, we do every, everything you said about talking to legislatures thing. And, and I, I do, do you think, though, that, that, Susan, we may not be liking the progress so far, but do you think it will change? Do you think in eventually it's going to have to happen, right? It is. It is happening. The transition is underway. Right. The question is, is it fast enough to avoid yes. the worst implications? Mm -hmm. So one of the reasons that I work with the Florida Clinicians for Climate Action is because um, health voices are incredibly trusted messenger. Mm -hmm. Year after year mm -hmm. in the polling, the public opinion yeah. studies, mm -hmm. nurses, doctors, mm -hmm. pharmacists. Mm -hmm. And so I saw that voice as not being as pronounced. Right. It, health is also something that everybody experiences. Everyone has has a connection to and mm -hmm. I think it's most helpful so I couldn't be more thrilled than to be here with you particularly Michaela and and the whole lab that mm -hmm. you all are in a position to bring forward the health perspective on a range of issues right. and climate is one of them mm -hmm. and whether Absolutely. it's the warmer wetter weather you know as we have warmer temperatures we have increased water vapor so we get more heavier rains and that's mm -hmm. bringing in more of the pesticides sure so we get more of that blue green algae which maybe is understood to be more of a direct health impact yes so some of these health impacts are like a so, bank shot in pool right yeah. you know it's like the yeah, bounce kind of in a pinball indirectly machine. right it's but an we're indirect get thing mm -hmm. so uh, climate change really is harming human health now. So to answer your question, as mm -hmm. more people see that and they understand when we get rid of old diesel buses and we get rid mm. of those polluting I cars, you are going to see improvements in air pollution, more general right. Right. air pollution, right. particulate matter. Mm -hmm. And for all the people who most often are the most vulnerable who live near roads, right? Mm -hmm. Near road air mm -hmm. pollution is a huge problem. So we're going to mm -hmm. get there. Are we going to get there fast enough to avoid these worst implications? I think the end of that movie, we don't know yet. Yes. And that's why I do this every day. Mm -hmm. And that's why, Michaela, that's why you are my new best friend. Right. And we are going to work together. <laughs> and uh, you right. don't know where those wins come. I'm actually right. working on developing a climate change video game. Oh, right. Yep. And, right. I'd heard right. about that. Right. That's right. Which I'm so, looking forward to. So you don't know where, but we can we can do this. Mm -hmm. We have the solutions. We've actually had them for quite some time. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So um, that's what we need to do. So every place where you can engage, mm -hmm. often it's even at the most local level, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because we need mm -hmm. to preserve our ag land. Right. You know, agriculture mm -hmm. and how we grow our crops and soil management. All feeds into it. All part of the problem. Mm -hmm. yeah. The mm -hmm. waste stream. I'm working on developing a zero waste strategy down in Miami-Dade County. One of the worst offenders that people don't pay attention to is that organic waste we put into landfills, mm -hmm. much of which is usable pro uh, produce that we can actually get 
to help people, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, that mm-hmm. really can't afford food. I mean, we have a terrible problem now right. with people not being able to afford, afford to live. Food. Absolutely. Their rent is so high. so high. On top of that is that electric bill. Mm-hmm. And then you need Wi-Fi just to get by. And gas. Right? Yeah. And gas is through <laughs> right. the roof. Our insurance is through the roof. All of it. So yeah. we have an opportunity to protect our natural environment, keep energy dollars here at home, provide mm-hmm. local jobs for people, and do the right thing all around. So right. I think we can do it. And the question is, can yeah. we move fast Are we doing enough? it fast enough? That's and, right. And that's a good lesson for communities too, right? Because right. I had a question, what can communities do? I mean, we can be a voice here at universities and agencies, but even communities, right? People within communities can really do these things. That's they right. Can, they can look at issues. They can write right to their folks in the legislature. They can vote people in. They can vote people out. So basically, there's mm-hmm. a lot of ways we can do that. So I'd now like to ask our student, Michaela, who's just a little bit younger, at least than me, what are the feelings of students on this topic? You know, these upcoming generations will be dealing with climate change issues that only are going to become more and more serious. So what are the students saying? They're, especially in the past couple of years, and the use of social media, um, I've been seeing a lot of my fellow peers or individuals that I've never met before just through social media really advocating for change. Um, And we're already seeing the effects of climate change Mm -hmm. here and now. Um, As we saw yesterday, the massive heat wave in Europe. Right, right. Um, And then the past several years, the major drought on the West Coast that are causing all of the wildfires. So a lot of us are really hoping in wanting the change and wanting the solutions that we already have to be implemented. Um, And they're out there. And I think a lot of us kind of have the climate grief or climate anxiety that people talk about just because we're wondering, well, how are our futures going to be? Because we're still relatively young. We haven't gotten out there into the world necessarily just yet. And we feel as though uh, some of us are like, wow, this is kind of, the world were being handed down mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. It, it goes back to, is it too late? Is it not too late? Uh, are we just going to learn how to adapt or are we right. going to apply a mitigation to this? Um, so a lot of us are very, very much um, in tune into what's happening mm-hmm, and are mm-hmm. wanting the solutions to be implemented. Right. And uh, I'm happy that I'm part of a generation that is very, outspoken yes, yes and you are mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's good and and i think that's good and i love that you know about this generation because i don't think you're gonna let just things sit and i don't know if susan you've noticed that too as you work in all your groups and agencies and things um and in communities how you've seen young people sort of come out about this issue yeah i think there's been such an evolution where you had people in the 60s sort of trying to move you know Mm -hmm. uh, speaking out against sort of racial segregation and and the environment Mm -hmm. i mean at that time up in some of the more industrial areas where the cuyahoga river in ohio was famously on fire and you know that was the very first earth day right Mm -hmm. and then i think the generation that karen and i are part of and (laughs) and sort of just after us have gotten a little bit lazy right (gasps) because everything was 
was kind of content. That's why we have an activist lab. <laughs> and that's why we have an activist that's lab. Right. But we were content. Absolutely. Because we were Absolutely. living in not, we were post-Vietnam War, mm -hmm. right? And sort of pre-some mm -hmm. of these other things. So, mm -hmm. um, but we needed to be moving a long time. And as I shared, right. you know, that Lyndon Baines Johnson started talking about this in 1965. And had we started this, we would have then, a different kind yes of infrastructure, and this is about the energy systems. Mm -hmm. um, I've participated for the last several years with our Children's Trust, yes. and those are the oh, young yes. people suing government mm -hmm. about, um, it's interesting because it's a legal subtlety, it's not about not taking action, it's about mm -hmm. taking action and instilling a fossil fuel polluting uh, base system, right? By mm -hmm. just locking all this in. So yeah. you sort of have to untangle kind of the infrastructure, if you will. Because right. once you put all those gas pumps in place, right, it's happening and it's going to happen, but that's kind of the advantage. You've got sort of inertia. So you've got yeah. to engage every place that you can. Absolutely. And sometimes you make some of your better gains locally or regionally mm -hmm, mm -hmm. with your county commission, for instance, right? Mm -hmm. um, in many communities, I think it's about 13 or 14 now in Florida, have taken commitments to get to 100% clean energy. Yes. Wow. Mm -hmm. and, and I would say one more thing. Climate change is interesting in that it requires both personal and individual actions. And right. there are things that every single human can do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it's also really the big things are going to be this global policies, right? Yes. And we need a global agreement to reduce sure. greenhouse gas emissions, which, of course. of course, we had out of the Paris Agreement and, and, right. and, and some of these problems. Mm -hmm. So Florida, my prescription for Florida, mm -hmm. we, if we were a country, we'd be the 15th largest economy. We are, with Amazing. electric vehicles, the second largest market. So what we do matters, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. We create a really good point. markets for things. Mm -hmm. Germany did that around solar. We have to thank Germany 15 years ago for making some decisions that brought the price of solar down mm -hmm. because they created a market. That's part of this EPA, the West Virginia versus yes. EPA, is that they're saying we're not going to force the market by telling West Virginia by what telling to them do. what they have to right, do. but let the market work. Well, the market is working because mm -hmm. it's always been cheaper to do energy efficiency. Mm -hmm. So what yeah. we need is for the politicians to let the market work. Right. To do what they said. To do Let what the they, market work. That's exactly right. <laughs> that's right. And, and so forth. So by doing that, we show with our dollars, mm -hmm. right, and by getting more efficient mm -hmm. and by encouraging local governments. You know, they can take some of their dollars. And for my money, I'm hiring companies to go blow insulation into the attics of older homes, which are half the homes in Florida. Right. Yeah. It's cheap. A, a, a blanket for your water heater. Cheap, cheap, cheap. It will help you reduce your energy bill. Right, a lot right. of this is That's really true. simple. Yeah. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. we can do this. And this is where the local governments uh, can be helpful. So mm -hmm. you've got to just engage. Get okay. hooked up. You know, go to FloridaClinicians.org. Right. And mm -hmm. you just sign up there for free. So you can get newsletter and information just, about meetings. Yes, um, great way to network and to, to learn what's happening. And as Susan said, what's happening now. Yeah. You know, more so than having to wait and say, oh, I didn't know that was going on. I didn't know they were voting on that. You know, yeah, so that's great. So yeah. let me just uh, ask you, Odie Diaz, whom I've 
don't know if I've ever introduced on the podcast before, but he's the one that makes all this come to life somehow, what we're saying. And, of course, Carlos Montoya is with him. But Odie had a question, and Odie always asks me to ask questions to our guests. And he wanted to know, Susan, if solar energy has been down 90%, as you said, why does it cost between twenty to 30000 to put solar panels in homes? Well, the solar has a life of 30 years. Mm -hmm. So you should think of it more like you do when you're buying a home and you pay it out over time. Even the same thing with a car, because very few people go buy a car with cash, right? Right. Right. You're going to either lease the car or you're going to do a loan at your bank or your credit union, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So um, solar um, is something that you can finance over time. So if over time, and I'll give you an example, right here in Tampa Bay, the Great Bay Distributor, the Anheuser-Busch Distributor, biggest one in the state, put up solar on their cold storage facility. It was a megawatt and a half, $2.6 million. Right. And in 5.15 years, the savings from that solar paid for the cost of the solar. So they get 25 years of free electricity. Right. So, yeah, it's twenty thousand dollars, but it's going to last for twenty five or thirty mm-hmm. years mm-hmm. and you pay for it over time. So, in fact, I did that when I got solar. Um, I'm on the board of SELF, the Solar and Energy Loan Fund. We, we talked about that and we Great. mentioned that on a, a previous podcast. Oh, very good. Right. Yeah. Probably with Congresswoman mm-hmm. Castor, who's mm-hmm. very familiar mm-hmm. with it. So they finance primarily in low and middle income neighborhoods okay. to homeowners. Mm-hmm. So you finance it. So I wrote a check for, you know, a few thousand dollars, right. financed it, and then I make a payment. So that's how that works. And mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. over time, some of the soft costs like permitting mm-hmm, and things, mm-hmm. there's a solar co-op from my friends at the Solar United Neighbors. And they're in many states around the country. They do a solar co-op. They will answer every single question that you have about okay, solar. Good to know. Um, yeah. When it's safe mm-hmm. to meet in person, they do meetings in person. I've attended many of the Solar United Neighbor meetings. And they do a group request for proposal. So you'll usually get about a 15% discount Mm -hmm. because it's a group thing. Mm -hmm. And then the solar uh, installers, you know, they Mm -hmm. get a bunch of work, right? So they don't have to do all the marketing. It's Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. all right there and they come in. So you get the discount and then you finance it and over five years, six years, seven years, right? You pay your electric, your solar costs right. off. And so so it will continue to come down. It will continue right. to get more efficient. Mm-hmm. Uh, the holy grail, of course, is the battery storage so that you can make all that energy during the day right. and run your home and run everything night later. or, or yeah. when there's a storm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. so, so we're headed that way. You know, um, F. Scott Fitzgerald, very mm-hmm. famous writer, said the sign of first-rate intelligence is when you can hold two opposing ideas in your mind at one time and still function. So that's sort of me. <laughs> okay, well, right? we've I'm, all learned how to do that <laughs> recently, right? Yeah, that's yeah right. cognitive dissonance. <laughs> that's but, right. So yeah. one can be, like we all are, mm-hmm. incredibly concerned. And mm-hmm. Michaela, I almost cried listening to you talk about Uh the climate anxiety (laughs) and climate grief Mm -hmm. because I feel horrible Mm -hmm. that I, as an advocate for the last 22 years on this particular topic, and when I worked on tobacco issues, Mm -hmm. I worked with the students working against tobacco. Exactly. And I would say to them, today tobacco, tomorrow the world. Mm -hmm. So today Mm -hmm. climate, today public health, 
but this is teaching you the skills uh, to really make a difference in your world and to mm -hmm. teach young people uh, to do that. So I do really feel personally badly. Um, no, no. I mean, really, I, what can no. I say? Send flowers, you yeah, know, know. Um, that we are handing you something that has been degraded. Mm -hmm. So we're here to just turn a corner and do it better. Yes, we, they'll find a way to do that. And I know we're, we're resilient. We'll mm -hmm. figure out ways. We are outspoken. Right. And there's the climate anxiety, but I think a lot of individuals aren't letting it get to them and that they're really voicing their opinions in any way possible. And that I think this generation is really cracking down on misinformation mm -hmm. or learning how to mm -hmm. look up uh, articles that have sound science and really trying to use that moving forward. Right. You know, uh, a, a friend of mine who lobbies in Tallahassee for uh, SpaceX and Tesla, mm -hmm. and we have mm -hmm. known each other since the 80s, and he sent me a photo of an old business card of mine. <laughs> he was cleaning out a storage unit and, uh -huh. and, and, and had an old business card of mine circa 1990, who knows. It <laughs> didn't even have a cell number on it. Oh, yeah, of course. 1990, so no. When yeah. you think about the incredible mm -hmm. shift in technologies and our ability to make energy is just one right. example right. of that, but even something as simple as the cell phone. So I have young people in my life in their early 30s, and they grew up when their oh. mother threw in a video game. Or, or a vid you know, we don't, sure. it's not the same anymore, it's right? Not. Everyone is on their phone. We have these solutions. So, um, you know, my prediction is we'll sort of eke it out mm -hmm. by the skin of our teeth. Mm -hmm. um, but here we are. Time is not on our side. Right. But let's usher in sure. an orderly transition, in particular mm -hmm. because the people who can least afford it the people, and I'm talking about island nations around the mm, world, of but mm -hmm. right here in this country, right. the people who have least contributed to this problem mm -hmm. are the ones that are going to bear the burden. We see this it. in so many public mm -hmm. health realms. Of this course. is not new or no. unique to the, the climate situation. Real. Mm -hmm. um, right. So let's get out in front. You know, we talked about electric vehicles. They're such a, a help, but 80% of charging happens at home. So if mm -hmm. you're in an apartment, we need now right. to make sure the policies require you to put charging infrastructure in multifamily. Do you know why? Mm -hmm. Because down the road, if we don't, it costs 10 times as much, oh, right? Okay. So we need to not create a second digital right. divide, right, so right, to speak. Right. So there's so many issues we have to think about right yeah. now. We need to yes, take advantage of cost-effective efficiency, solar, wind. Um, you know, there are all offshore winds. Mm -hmm. There also are new technologies that are creating wind energy at lower speeds because Florida does mm -hmm. not have sustained onshore winds like they do in places like Oklahoma mm -hmm. and Texas. Mm -hmm. But you can get enough wind energy to power the entire country just in four of the big wind-producing states. Wow. Now, the problem's getting it there. Yeah, how do you get there? Right? Yeah, exactly. But there is a lot of work being done on mm -hmm. some high-voltage transmission lines. And so mm. I would suggest yeah. to you that the the real ultimate solutions, we may not even know what they are just yet right, right now, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I'm working with mm -hmm. um, a, a, an engineer who's got a chemistry with hydrogen and bromine, and they're treating biosolids. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. instead of trucking it mm -hmm. multiple counties and, and spreading it on ag land, which is fueling that blue-green algae, mm -hmm. they can treat that, you know, right, right there and get rid of these the toxics right. in our 
treated sewage, basically mm-hmm. biosol. Mm-hmm. So these kind of technologies exist, and isn't that God's perfect plan? Right. That we can take poop and make energy <laughs> out of it, yep. right? And, that's right, that's and, right. It so all God's goes perfect back to plan. That's right, that's right. The beginning. <laughs> well, that's amazing. Do you have any other uh, questions, Michaela? No, thank you so much. <laughs> no, you're just a fountain of information. We could talk hours and hours and hours, we probably. Really <laughs> but I want to thank you so much. On behalf of the USF College of Public Health Activist Lab, our wonderful guest, Ms. Susan Glickman, our student co-host, Michaela, we thank you for joining us today. And hey, keep listening. We have more podcasts coming soon. As always, we'd love to hear your feedback. Let us know how we did by emailing us at cophactivistlab at usf.edu. So hey, until next time, this is Dr. Karen Liller. Remember, find your voice. Let's change it up for the better. Keep listening and join Advocation Change It Up. Tell your friends and family we're on all media, Apple, Spotify, and more. So thank you again. And hey, as it gets safer to be out and about, come see us in the Activist Lab.